Thank you. Well, good morning. It's good to be back. Oh, goodness, I'm going to trip over that. All right, last Sunday, I was at the ladies' retreat. Yes, which was a wonderful experience. I, we have lots of thank yous. First of all, we have to thank Linda Omer and Molly Riddle for all of their planning. It was a phenomenal retreat. Um, and through their leadership, they actually empowered a lot of other women to lead and serve too. So there were so many women who planned the games and the worship and other things. And it was just amazing to see all these different women serving and ministering to one another. We also need to thank all the women who stayed and served our kids last Sunday so the other women could go on the retreat. So thank you very much for that sacrifice. We appreciate that. Um, and then two Sundays ago, I woke up at 5 a.m. morning sick, like beeline to the bathroom kind of sick. And I was like, oh man, what am I going to do? And then I realized my preaching mentor, Dr. Lenny Lucetti, just happened to tell me that he was planning on visiting our church that morning. And so, like, about 6 a.m., I texted him. I said, Lenny, this is a text no pastor wants to send or receive. But if I'm not better by 8 a.m., can you preach? And he just stepped up to the plate, didn't he? Yeah, he did such a great job. And I'm so grateful for him sharing his gift with us and also just his journey and being honest about that. And and as I listened to both that message and the message Pastor Eric gave last Sunday... Um, yeah, I, I was just thankful and I thought, God, you've given me some good mentors in my life. And so I was just very thankful for that and for how God used other people to bring the word to you. For those of you who are new to caring community, we're in the midst of a series called the story. And it's about learning to understand the Bible as one continuous story about who God is and who we are and how we relate to God and how he relates to us. So often we have all of these um, different little stories we've heard, like we've heard about Moses and David and, and maybe Abraham or Joseph, but like we don't know how they all fit together to tell the overarching story about how God is at work in our world and in our lives. And so that's what we're learning about. We started in October in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, right? And we are all the way to Esther now. Um, but I'm not going to have you open your Bibles to Esther. I know. Normally this is a time where I say, get out your Bibles and we dig right in. I will have you get out your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, it's page 970. If you grab a Bible from the baskets, there are some baskets underneath your seats. You can pull them out and find a Bible. The blue Bibles, it's page 970, okay? Um, but this this Sunday is going to be a little different. Um, I just felt like today that we needed to pause and remember everything we've learned so far. And also just celebrate what God is doing in the life of our church. So I'm going to do some summarizing of the, what we've learned so far in this series. And, and then also 
just talk about what God did at the retreat and what God is doing in the life of our church. We're going to end by celebrating some baptisms, and then we have our family time meal, okay? Does that sound good? All right. One of the fascinating things, now, you can put your thumb in Romans 6. I'm, it's going to take me a while to get there, okay? I know, you're used to it. We Normally, we dive right in, but I'm going to do some more storytelling this morning. Um, one of the fascinating things to me about the Bible is not only does it contain all these historically true stories, like archaeology, you can, has proven that like these places existed, these people are recorded in ancient documents, historical documents. So like the Bible is historically true. But all these little stories also add up to a great metaphor for what our spiritual journey is like. And that's what we've been learning about. So in the beginning, right, God creates the world. And he creates it perfect. It's beautiful. No flaws. And he creates us. And he creates us very good. And then he gives us rulership over the earth as a gift. He just says, here you go. And even though humanity, we are living in paradise... We've only known what is good. We're still not content. That's the rub of the Bible. I, I think, you know, we tend to think about ourselves like, oh, you know, if only I had the right job, or only if my spouse was a little bit more like this, or only if, right? We have all these only ifs our life could be more perfect, then we would be happy and content. And right from the get-go, the Bible's like, nah. Even when humans lived in perfect paradise, they were not content. They still felt like God was somehow withholding some pleasure from them. And so they decided to not only know what was good, they decided to taste the knowledge of evil. And the more they sought after the knowledge of evil, the more their rulership and ways of relating became twisted. And in just a few generations, the world is filled with violence. That's how the Bible starts. We ignore the instructions of our creator who made the world, who who made us. But God loves us too much to abandon us. So he finds one guy. He actually does this twice. The first one guy is Noah. If you ever have thought, you know, man, why can't God just get rid of all the evil people? And then the world would be a good place. That's what the story of Noah and the ark is all about. That God did that. And here we are today. So God starts again. He finds one guy, Abraham. And he's says to Abraham, if you will follow me, I'll make you a blessing. I will bless you and I will make you into a blessing for other people. And we've talked about how this is essentially the same promise that God offers to any of us. That if we follow him, he will bless us and make us into a blessing. So Abraham is living in Ur. I think we've got a map. I'm going to make a fertile crescent out of the stage right here. So Ur is um, just south of Babylon. You see it down there, number one. And he follows God through the area of Babylon up number two. That would be about where Assyria is at, modern-day Syria. 
Okay? Babylon is where modern-day Iraq is at. And he follows God all the way to the land of Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. And God says, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. And through your descendants, I will bless all people of the earth. So a couple generations go by, and famine hits Canaan. And Abraham's grandson, whose name is Israel, he was born Jacob, God renamed him Israel. Israel moves the whole family down to Egypt because there's food there and connections. His son, Joseph, is a ruler. We won't talk about how Joseph ended up in Egypt. I just got sold into slavery by his brothers, but that's a whole other story. But now Joseph is doing well. So the whole family moves to Egypt. And after the famine is over, life is good in Egypt. Joseph is number two in command. And they just stay. And their comfort becomes their bondage. After a few hundred years, they're now slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And they cry out to God. And God sends who to, to lead them out? Moses, right. And um, as God is leading them out of Egypt, out of slavery, the Egyptians pursue them. And so God, he baptizes them in the Red Sea. He opens the waters, they walk through, and their oppressors who follow get washed away. So on this side of the Red Sea, they're slaves. But when they are baptized, they come out free. Do you see that? And everything that was oppressing them was washed away. So now they are free and they make this covenant to believe and to follow God. And they follow him, complaining the whole way to the promised land. And they get there and they don't want to go in. And it's this amazing analogy of how so often in our lives we are stuck in bondage and we're like, God, free us, free us. And he starts to lead us out, right? And then we're like, wait, what? I got to go there? Okay, well, I like this, but I don't want to leave this behind, you know? And it's like this. And we just get stuck. And we never fully enter the new life that God has for us. We're not slaves anymore, but we're, we're not living the abundant life Jesus Christ promised us. And so God, he, he's not going to force them into the promised land. He loves them too much to let them go back to Egypt, which is what they keep saying they want to do. Because the food is better there. I'm not making this up. <laughs> And so they just wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Just wander. And God stays with them the whole time. And after 40 years, they're finally ready to trust him. Fully. And not just be stuck wandering in circles with God, but to move forward. And so God baptizes them again. This time he takes them through the Jordan River. And when they come out on the other side of the Jordan River, they are in the promised land. The new home and life that he said he was going to give them. 
So their first baptism is from slavery to freedom. Their second baptism is from wandering in the wilderness to the new life God has promised them. You see that? So for a time, things go well. As they're living in the land of Israel, God's given them. But each generation has to go through this process. Each generation has to make their own choice about whether or not to follow God. And they fall into this cycle. We talked about this when we were studying uh, the book of Judges. That after a couple generations, they decide, you know, they, they like what the other people living around them are doing. And they start to live more and more like the people around them. And less and less like how God has commanded them to live. And so as they worship other gods, God removes his protection and his blessing. Right? Or another way to look at it is they wander out from under God's protection and blessing. And they become oppressed. Every single time. And so then they'll be like, God! Please save us. And God raises up someone to deliver them. He raises up a judge like Gideon or Samson or Deborah. That was for about 400 years when they were ruled by judges. Then for about five to 600 years, they were ruled by kings. And so sometimes it was a king like David who would come and deliver them or Hezekiah. And then they would have peace and prosperity. But I, I love how... Do you see his eyes line? It's like you have, you're living in God's peace, in his paradise, but you're coveting the way the people around you live. And the cycle would just start all over again. And for about a thousand years, the Israelites go through this cycle. And by the end of a thousand years, they're not cycling anymore. They're just stuck full on the sin. And they are doing every detestable thing you can imagine. They are, they have slaves. They have, are doing child and human sacrifices to idols. They are bribing judges. There's no justice. I mean, all kinds of things. And there's no repentance. And so God kicks them out of the promised land. And the northern tribes first are taken as slaves to Assyria. And the Assyrians were Assyrians were brutal people. But then the Babylonians, remember that was back here in the Fertile Crescent? (laughs) The Babylonians come and they conquer the Assyrians. And the Babylonians were actually um, nicer than the Assyrians. All right? They were still conquerors. I don't want to, like, you know, put rose-colored glasses on that. But they were better than the Assyrians. And so they come through, they conquer the Assyrians... They take the rest of the people living in Israel and haul them back to Babylon. So now all the people of Israel are living in Babylon. And in Babylon, they have a chance for a good life-ish. Like they're given, they're not slaves. They're giving homes and jobs. And as long as they cooperate, they can have an okay life. They can also be executed if somebody gets ticked off at them. So, you know, it's they're captives, but they're not slaves. It's better than with the Assyrians. And then, after 
they're in Babylon, the Persians come and they conquer. Now, the Persians are the best conquerors of all. They um, actually let the Israelites go back to their homeland in Canaan, in Israel. All right? And they give them money to rebuild their temple, rebuild um, Jerusalem. Pastor Eric preached about that last Sunday when he talked, when he preached from the books of Ezra and Haggai. And he talked about how when the Jewish people returned to their homeland, it was in ruins. And they had to rebuild their faith. Both literally rebuild the altar, rebuild the temple, and figuratively, they had to rebuild their faith. And Pastor Eric, he talked about how sometimes our faith and our relationship with God, it just gets beat up. It just gets beat up and worn down. And sometimes that's because of the pain, full experiences we have. Sometimes it's because of our own sin and apathy. But we come to these moments where our faith in relationship with God is just beat up. And we have to let God begin to rebuild us. Even when we have wandered far from God like the Israelites living in Babylon because of their sin. God doesn't give up on us. He never gives up on us. He calls us back to him. He woos us. That's the language in Hosea. God talks about wooing us from the desert. When they were enslaved in Egypt, had become enslaved to their own comfort, God called them out. When they were in, in captive in Babylon because of their sin, God called them out. He woos us back to himself. And the journey back is often a desert journey. It's a desert journey. It's this journey of God just like stripping away all those things and habits that we become addicted to and codependent on. And it feels like death. Because if this is how we've been coping with life, for God to have that strip it away, it feels like we're just flailing before we become truly anchored in Him. And it's scary. I mean, some, it's interesting the things we become dependent on. Sometimes they're bad things, sometimes they're seemingly good things. Like our ability to outthink or outwork others. Or our ability to charm people or manipulate people. Maybe it's our pride. How we're always finding fault in others. Or our snarky ways that we gossip about people and put them down. Maybe it's our job, our status, our achievements. A relationship we become codependent on. Whatever it is, addictions to food, shopping, entertainment, substances, God in that desert journey begins to strip those things away. And we feel vulnerable. And at that moment, we have a choice. We can either run back to captivity where it is comfortable because It's known. 
or we can trust that when God is done stripping us of everything, he will raise us to new life. The great theologian C.S. Lewis wrote about this process of how God strips us and washes us clean in baptism so we're raised to new life. This book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, anybody here read it? A few of you? Well, one of the characters is a boy named Eustace, and he's a very selfish boy. And he finds this golden armband that he covets. And he puts it on his arm, and he just thinks it looks so fine and kingly, and it's certainly worth a whole lot of money. And so he has plans to sell it later on, and... So he goes to sleep with his armband on, and the next morning he wakes up a dragon. He's no longer a boy, he's a dragon. The armband was magical. And it turned all his inward selfishness outward. So it could be seen. It was in the form of a dragon skin. And what is worse is that armband that once looked so fine on him, now that he's a huge dragon, is like cutting into his arm, his leg. It was an arm when he was a boy, now it's a dragon, so he's his leg, okay. And um, and it, it's just really painful. And he's trying everything to get it off. He doesn't have hands, he can't get off. And after a few painful days, he's just like in despair and depressed. Because he has no way of stopping the pain. And he has no way of turning himself back into a boy again. And then one night he meets the great lion, Aslan. Now in C.S. Lewis's book, Aslan always represents Jesus Christ, who the Bible calls the Lion of Judah. So I'm going to read to you about the night Eustace met the lion, okay? I don't normally read storybooks if this is your first time coming to church, but just... All right. So Eustace is telling about the night. He says, I looked up and saw the very last thing I expected, a huge lion coming slowly toward me. It came nearer and nearer. I, I was terribly afraid of it. I wasn't afraid of it eating me. I was just afraid of it, if you know what I mean. Well, it came up to me and looked straight into my eyes. And I shut my eyes tight. But it wasn't any good because it told me to follow it. And I knew I had to do what it told me. So I got up and followed it. And it led me a long way into the mountains. And there was always moonlight over and round this lion wherever we went. So at last we came to the top of a mountain I'd never seen before. And on top of the mountain there was a garden, trees and fruit and everything. In the middle of it there was a well. Now I knew it was a well because you could see the water bubbling up from the bottom of it. But it was a lot bigger than most wells. It was very big, like a round bath with marble steps that went down into it. The water was as clear as anything. And I thought if I could just get in there and bathe, it would ease the pain of my leg. But the lion told me I must undress first. And I was going to say, well, I'm a dragon. I don't have any clothes on. Um, but suddenly I thought, oh, you know, dragons are, are 
snaky sort of things, and snakes shed their skin, so that must be what he means. And so I started scratching myself, and the scales started coming off. And then I scratched a little deeper, and indeed, instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully, like it does after an illness, or if I was a banana. And a moment or two, I just stepped right out of it. And I could see it laying there beside me, looking rather nasty. It was the most lovely feeling to be out of that skin. And so I started to go down into the well for my bath. But just as I was about to put my feet in the water, I looked down and saw they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they had been before. Oh, that's all right, I thought. It only means I have another smaller layer on underneath. And so I scratched and tore again, and and the underskin peeled off just as beautifully as the outer skin. And I stepped out of it and left it lying there and went down for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again. And I thought to myself, oh dear, however many skins do I have to take off? So I scratched for a third time and got off a third skin, just like the other two, and stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it was no good. Then the lion said, you have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws. But I can tell you, I was pretty nearly desperate. So I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling off the skin, it hurts worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peeled off. Well, he peeled it. The beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I had done to myself before, only in those times it didn't hurt. And there it was lying there on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, smooth and soft and much smaller than I had been before. And then he took hold of me in his mouth. And I didn't like that very much because I was still very tender. And he just threw me in the water. And it smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it was perfectly delicious. As soon as I started swimming and splashing, and I found all the pain was gone in my leg, which wasn't a leg, it was an arm. And I saw that I had been turned into a boy again. The change God wants to make in us is always to make us more human, not less. And that is what God did to the Israelites when he called them out of bondage in Egypt. And they wandered in that wilderness. He was pulling the dragon skin off. And when he called them out of bondage in Babylon, he was stripping away those things that they had 
become dependent on. And that's what he has been doing in many of you. Have you ever felt like Eustace? Where you had these ugly ways about you. These patterns and habits. And you just wanted to shed them and be rid of them. But every time you thought they were finally gone, there it was again. Have you ever felt like that? At a ladies' retreat last Sunday, several ladies had reached that point. It was, it was a fun retreat, guys. It was a fun retreat. We had so much laughter. Um, but very soon, our, we just got off schedule. Because the Lion of Judah showed up. I don't know how else to describe it other than God just showed up. And those are things you can't plan for. They can't, they're not things you can program to have a moment where God shows up. They're only things you can pray for. And so I want to thank you because many of you were praying for that retreat. Many of you were praying for the youth retreat where God also showed up a few weeks before. Many of you have been praying for months and even over a year, Lord, make us clean. And God, help us to see ourselves as you do. Lord, help us desire what you desire. You've been praying those prayers, and some of those prayers got cashed in last Sunday. The Lion of Judah showed up at our retreat, and all pretenses just faded away. Because when you have a lion staring you down, you cannot pretend to be strong and have your act together. And so women just voluntarily started sharing about past hurt and trauma and shame in their lives. And they also talked about um, how they were just so ready to be done with it. And just ready to be done with all the anxiety that it caused. But women also talked about fear. They talked about fear of if they fully let God just take everything away from them and step into the new life he has for them, what they would have to sacrifice. What they would have to give up. And the fear of that. Other women talked about the fear of failure. There's times that they thought they had stripped off that dragon skin before and only to realize it was still there. So what was going to make this time any different? So on Saturday night, I just led, felt led to share from Romans 6. It wasn't something I had planned. And that's what I want to share with you today, all right? And what Romans 6 has to say about baptism. We're going to start in verse 1. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? (laughs) Let me give you some context. Paul has been writing in this letter and talking about how we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We know that he died for our sins. We have received that gift of grace. Grace is something God gives you that you don't deserve or that you can't earn on your own. And the forgiveness for our sins is a gift of grace from God. 
And he says, since we know and we've received God's gift of forgiveness and grace, do we just keep on sinning because we're forgiven? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Meaning that when Jesus died on the cross, he died to pay the penalty for all sin, right? All sin. And so when you are baptized into Christ Jesus, you are baptized into that death, and he puts to death in you all that sin that's been keeping you in bondage. I, um... When I was growing up in the church, I was often told that baptism is an outward symbol of an inward reality. Have you heard that? And that's what I often said when I first became a pastor, um, because it was what was taught to me. But then I had um, a professor, when I was earning my master's in systematic theology, challenge me on that. And he made me look up every passage related to baptism in the Bible. And over and over again, I saw that the, bapti- that the Bible doesn't talk about baptism as merely this outward symbol of something God has already done. It talks about baptism as something that God does something in. The church has historically always believed that baptism is a means of grace, meaning it's a tool, a means through which God gives us grace, something that we cannot earn or do for ourselves. And this verse is saying that when we are baptized in Christ Jesus, God's grace, his Holy Spirit comes and he puts to death sin in us. It's not just a symbol, it actually happens. Verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. That's when we go down in the water. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self, that dragon skin, was crucified with him so the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died... He died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil decrees. My friends, there's a difference between being ruled by selfish desires And letting sin reign in you and being set free and sometimes still sinning. 
The difference is when you are raised with Christ Jesus, you are raised with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit produces God's character in you. The Bible calls it the fruit of the Spirit, but it's just the character of God. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you are raised to life with Christ, you are raised with the Spirit, and He begins to produce God's character in you. Now, like any fruit, it grows slowly. (laughs) All right? And so you're raised to new life, and you are no longer controlled by sin and selfish desires. You may not have all the fruit you need to always conquer sin, (laughs) but it's growing in you. And you're no longer controlled by evil desires. Verse 13, do not offer, therefore, any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. This is the language of sacrifice. And where, what are you going to sacrifice yourself to? Just to following sinful desires or to God and offer yourself and offer every part of yourself. Because so often we start here and we're like, God help us, right? And we go through that first baptism of believing in God and following Him, but we don't fully follow Him. It's like when we first get to know God, we don't even know how many layers of dragon skin we have. And we peel, let him peel off some, but there's others that are just too close to the heart that we're not willing to let go of. And some of us have to wander in the wilderness for a while before we're ready to fully offer all of ourselves to the Lord and let him peel it all off. Paul continues this language in Romans chapter 12. If you flip over about four pages to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... Not in fear of the talons, but in view of his mercy. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we are stuck in the wilderness, um, we deceive ourselves about how much we're following God. There's some areas we're following him in, but there's other areas like, oh, well, God is fine with this over here, too. When we present ourselves as a living sacrifice and say, okay, God, I'm all in. Take it all. Then... Our minds are renewed. And the Bible says we're going to be able to discern what God's will actually is. 
So if we're facing all these different options, A, B, C, and D, we will be able to test them. Be like, oh, okay, this is the one that's God's will. And we will no longer be deceiving ourselves. And we'll now not only be able to discern what God's will is, but we will approve of it. We will want to do it. Does that make sense? Now, after we get baptized and we have presented ourselves as a living sacrifice, which I just have to tell you about how this happened last Sunday. So I was telling the women about that. And I said, and next Sunday, we're going to be baptizing people in church. And tears just started streaming. And one of the women spoke up and said, no, God has spoken to me. I need to get baptized tomorrow morning. He's been calling me. And I'm just like, it's like 27 degrees out. And all we have in my mind, like, I'm like, is there a pool here? Is there a hot tub? Is there, you know, like, no, just a big lake. And, um, and one by one, other women started nodding and saying, yes, now is the time. And I'm looking at Linda Omer and we're just like, and in my heart, like, I, this is true confession. I am feeling both really excited and like, maybe I shouldn't have said anything. Because <laughs> I don't really want to get in the water tomorrow morning. But there was no denying Jesus was calling them. Jesus was just calling them. And so the next morning we got up at dawn and they had mercy on me. They all went in together and went down together and came up together. So I didn't have to stay in the water for 20 minutes baptizing them individually. But it was just beautiful. It was so beautiful. And um, Johnny Carr, she gave me permission to share her testimony. She was one of the women who had got baptized last Sunday. And... um she, at the retreat, shared about her long history of struggling with anxiety. And she wrote this about after her baptism. She said, this, she sent this on Thursday. I feel like since I've been home from the retreat, things are just happening this week. Car accident. Family member passing away. Children sick. Issues at school. And it's not even been a full week. But the way I'm handling them is different than I used to. I pray about it first. My mood and attitude towards things are different this week. I've been mostly listening to worship music and praying and looking for the joy. Instead of being overwhelmed in the stress. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in us. It is not that God somehow takes us out of this broken world and we never have any more problems. It's that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we still are able to have joy and contentment and peace in the midst of the problems. So I am excited, guys. I'm excited how the line of Judah is calling people and waking people up. I thank you for praying. 
Because God, he's, he, like, we had kids go to the youth retreat and kids who were not even interested in God came back asking for Bibles. Amen. Women getting baptized in a lake in 27 degree weather because they could not wait to meet Jesus and be all in for him. And this morning we have more people getting baptized. We had two people get baptized two weeks ago too. God is just doing great things. I want to call Bree up. We're going to have the worship team come up. And Bree's going to share a little bit about her testimony of why she is getting baptized this morning. It's on. It's already on. You're good. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Bree. I want to share my story to give all glory to God and what he's done for me. My parents were actually married in this church by Pastor Steve. I was born into this church in 1998 and dedicated to it in 1999. My dad taught me to love God above all else. And to always be honest and kind. My mama showed me what commitment to your faith and fellowship looked like through her service to caring community. Around the age of seven or eight, I talked to Pastor Steve about being baptized and was baptized that summer in Ron Owen's swimming pool. (laughs) At that age, what baptism meant to me personally was that I believed in the one true God and that he sent his son Jesus to die for my sins. It was a declaration of my belief in him. What I didn't know then, that I know now, is that my sweet and strong father was suffering from a hidden darkness, a secret sin. He was addicted to drugs, painkillers, It was around this time that my parents divorced. After some time, the drug and alcohol abuse caught up to my dad. His organs began shutting down and he died. If you knew me then, you know I was a true daddy's girl. And this loss of my once hero shattered my heart. My mom was so strong. She provided everything I needed. Being a child, I did not comprehend the pain and heartbreak my own mom was experiencing. The devil fed me with lies that there was something wrong with me. That I was alone and that I was unloved. And I really believed him. In high school, I stopped going to church and started living my life away from God. I still believed, but decided to live my life independently from Him. I kept God on the sidelines. Going into college with this mindset, 
I truly became so lost and damaged. I made so many wrong decisions. I lived in sin in all aspects, and the devil blinded me to the darkness that I was living in. When I was at my complete end and completely lost and hopeless, I laid awake that night crying out to God, asking him if he destined my life for sorrow. Is this all there is for me? I poured out my heart to him that night. I gave up. But God heard my cry because he never once left my side. That's right. God shined a light in my darkness. I can't explain how God did it. But I knew in that moment that God had so much more for me. I was overcome with appreciation of God loving me, even at my darkest moments. My heart completely changed. I no longer could live with God far away. After that point, he had to be the center of my life. God has been healing me like only he can do. He has continued growing my faith and love for him since that day. God has called me to get baptized again, and this time it means something brand new. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 8 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So today, I dedicate my life to live this way. I dedicate all I am to God in Jesus' name. your confession that is it is your desire to love the lord your god with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and so we baptize you in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit <laughs> Amanda, who is getting baptized today. <laughs> <laughs> 
Can we wheel you up here? And Amanda, you had something you wanted to say, or did you want me to say it for you? Okay. Amanda wants me to tell you guys that she's really proud of me. (laughs) (laughs) And that... She is so thankful for what God's done in her life. Um, she's a miracle. And she is so thankful for her family being here, for her. It was a couple Sundays ago that, um, I think maybe three, oh, it's, it's been a while. We've been waiting for a while for this baptism date, haven't we? About a month. And um, you just told me. Like, God has brought you on a journey, and you're just so grateful. Yeah. God worked through Brianna to get to you, huh? Yeah. It's beautiful. All right, we're going to put some towels around you, okay? Um, let me grab another one. Back of the chair. Do you want your glasses on or off? Off? Okay. Here we go. All right. Now, Amanda, you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? You know he is. And it's your desire to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? All right. Having heard your confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. praising God. If there is anyone else who is interested in being baptized or wants to speak more about it, I'm going to be back there at the cross. I'd love to talk to you. If you're ready to be baptized today, we have extra shirts and towels. Um, we, I think we're going to be baptizing some more people um, who couldn't be here today. I don't know if that's going to happen next week or in two weeks, but I will be back there by the cross, ready to talk to anyone, right?